Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. The housing market in Northumberland is red hot. Sales in September were up 10% over the same time last year. The price of a single-family home is up 30% over a year ago. If that doesn't make you want to shake your head, think about this. The average home price in the county was more than $832,000. Renting a place can cost you anywhere from $1,500 a month to more than $3,000 depending on the size, type, and location of the apartment or house. And while Premier Doug Ford announced an increase in the minimum wage to $15 per hour earlier this week, it is nowhere near the living wage of more than $18 an hour needed to live in Northumberland. At least that's according to the Ontario Living Wage Network, a group of businesses dedicated to paying employees enough money to live. So what can be done when it comes to finding an affordable place to live in Northumberland? On today's show, there are two experts who hope to shed some light on this topic. Joining me are David Sheffield, Executive Director of the Greenwood Coalition, and Megan McDonald, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity Northumberland. David wrote a scathing indictment of federal politicians in a recent newsletter for Greenwood. We will talk to both David and Megan about what it said and what it means for Northumberland. I'm so pleased to have with me today David Sheffield, Executive Director of the Greenwood Coalition, and Megan McDonald, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity. Welcome both to Consider This. Thank you. Uh, great to be here. I always enjoy talking with you, Robert. Yes, exactly. David, in a recent newsletter from the Greenwood Coalition, it reads, and I'm quoting here, fresh out of the, an election, the time for partisan politics is over. This situation was created by federal policy and will take federal leadership to reverse its devastating consequences. Can you tell us what was the motivation in writing this? Yeah, there's probably yeah, one of those moments when uh, I, I was just so frustrated uh, with with what's going on, and uh, um, and you know we've had a lot of conversations uh, about what needs to happen next in in keeping people housed in our community, and uh, and I think that. Uh, one of the things that we've seen happen over the the pandemic period is the the open market uh, for real estate uh, really go off the rails uh, to the extent that it isn't serving um, a larger and larger part of the population. And without some kind of outside intervention, um, we're that that uh, imbalance that is is there is going to uh, is is going to result in more people becoming. Uh, uh, 
um, homeless or at risk of homelessness or or you know precariously housed in in new ways and uh, and the uh, the only way that the open market is not solving that need it's not looking after our community and so some collective level of our society needs to look after uh, us you say in an open letter that the federal government has depoliticized the issue of homelessness and housing affordability. What does that mean? Um, well, I think that uh, we're uh, we're in a, a time now where um, we the 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 need is is you know um, greater than you know partisan politics and and uh, philosophies and all that kind of thing. We we need urgent solutions, uh, and we need you know we need to be acting on those things um, as soon as possible. And so there needs to be um, that collective uh, collective voice again uh, in, in uh, you know from politicians that they actually see and want to act together on that there there's there's really no room for uh, for uh, you know playing those 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 political games uh, um, now there, there's too much at stake Megan if if you were to describe the source of the crisis in housing here in Northumberland what would you say It, it's a really tough question. Um, I think it's a multitude of factors that have really that have really come together to get us to the point where we are. And the part that's probably the hardest is it's not despite a lot of people working to try to build a strong housing system, right? Like there, there's a lot of good work that's being done in the community, but I think we've got um, like what's really interesting is that at the root of it all, um, and there's a there's an organization out in BC that's really, and I, I attended a conference where they talked about this. I think the biggest challenge we're facing is we want affordable housing, but we also want our housing to be able to be our investment. And those two are not working. And so right now we're like the, all that whole philosophy, when you look at where we're at now, we have a whole bunch of people in this community where the housing market is hot and the house their house is their investment. It's not like, it's, you know, people don't have pension plans the way they used to necessarily. And so I think that that's sort of the biggest driver behind where we're at now is that you can't really have an affordable place to live, but also have it be your long-term solution for your investment and your retirement and all those sorts of things. And so that's how we see housing, the cost of housing just going so high. And when the cost of affordable housing, oh, sorry, when the cost of market housing is so high and everyone wants to own, we haven't, we haven't had a lot of purpose-built rental and it just, it really makes it so that people can't afford any type of housing. So do you agree with David when he says the federal government needs to act now? I, I do. And to be honest, I would also say that I think every, like through the campaign, through the most recent election campaign, that was one consistent message that I heard, no matter what. And that's why I like what, what David's saying about partisan, like it's nonpartisan at this point. Every single, um, whether it was slightly different platforms, but housing was a part of every platform, right? And we hosted, the Affordable Housing Committee hosted a debate about it. So yeah, I think the national housing strategy and all of the funding that's flowing through that, we need, it needs to be acting right now um, from, to create more affordable housing. David. 
Megan described a situation where we have a tension between people wanting to invest in housing and then people who need housing. What do you see that needs to be acted on right now or some of the ideas or solutions that need to come forward so that we can start to deal with this tension between these two needs in our society? Yeah, I, I think uh, you're right that that we have a um, we have a large uh, um, kind of widespread difficulty uh, in the commodification of of residential housing, uh, and uh, and that's not just in our community. Uh, I mean, that's a global situation now, and and that's difficult. Um, and that's um, that's beyond the um, the scope of a local community to to change that. Um, but uh, what local communities can do is look at how we are using our land, how we are, what do we have in place that uh, offers creative solutions uh, while we're while we're working on the big picture. And so so uh, you know where where I'm coming from, you know where where I'm seeing you know people living outdoors and and people uh, you know crowding into um, into places to to try to find shelter um, the the urgent need uh, is is really for adequate shelter for some kind of roof I mean we're we're literally handing out tents to people um, and uh, and we we need to we need to address that part of uh, of things the the health and safety uh, you know end of, of of this and and you know we we've we've predicted things you know getting worse for a number of years if if we didn't do this if we didn't do that and and here we are in the middle of it um, but I think the the urgent work is around creative solutions and and really um, for a, a you know municipality to put everything on the table and and try to figure out what can be done in this place this is where people live you know people don't live in Canada they live in Coburg or Port Hope or Campbell. Uh, and uh, and so for that community to to put everything on the table and figure out what is it that we can do right now and beyond what we can do what can we advocate for to to other levels of government to make this happen and that's that's the will of the people uh, you know uh, politicians you know they probably get exhausted and and whatever but uh, the the people need to be asking for these things we need to be uh, pushing these things forward with that, that kind of urgency that, that this requires. I want to come back and explore that a little bit more in a bit. But Megan, I, I know this is a really basic question, but I, I'm, sh I'm not sure everybody understands. If, if I drive around Northumberland County, there's all kinds of development going on. I mean, Coburg, Port Hope, Colborne, Brighton, Trent Hills. And there's all kinds of individuals building on properties. So why is it so hard to find affordable housing in Northumberland when there's all this activity going on around us? Well, I mean, it really depends on, there is a lot of activity. I won't disagree. It's that though, it's that a lot of that activity, and this isn't, I'm not criticizing, but a lot of that activity is building a certain type of home, which meets a certain demographic need, right? So it might be a single detached home. It might be a semi, but it's really, it's, it's, and it's not, a, and even builders will say, those aren't affordable to anyone really that makes below a certain income, right? Because with the cost of materials and all that sort of stuff, um, those are going for a lot higher than a newly built house used to go for. So that's catering to a very particular part of our population. 
I think the challenge that we're having is that there are a lot of people moving to this area, which is good. We need migration, right? Like there's um, immigration, migration are a key part of our economic drivers that we need going forward, as well as all the other benefits that come with a diverse society. So, so that is important. But right now, I think our development is really catering to those needs. And the challenge is there is a lot of, there, when you look at the demographics locally, we have a lot of seniors, we have a lot of singles. When you look at who actually needs to access affordable housing, it's the, that kind of housing that we need a lot of. It's also rental. So we're building a lot of ownership, but ownership is not for everyone. And also ownership is very expensive. And so um, Habitat's program is bringing affordable home ownership, right? But we also need access to rental. We need purpose-built rental, which will allow for the rents to be more affordable, right? Especially if you're building large multi-unit residential. So the, the, the development that Balder Corp is doing on university right now, that's one of the first purpose-built rental projects of that size that we've seen in forever. And that's also what we need. So it's the diversity of housing, I think, Robert, that is, that's what we don't have. We do have housing being built, but we don't have diverse housing. And I mean, diversity of tenure, diversity of, diversity of affordability, and diversity of, of scope, accessibility, all those things. Why is it so hard though for the private sector to do these kinds of things? What are the drivers that keep them doing the same thing in the same way? Profit. Um, the, the, the quickest, uh, you know, the quickest return on your money is to, to build something uh, and, and sell it quickly to develop a piece of property uh, and, and, and sell that as quickly as possible. Um, Purpose-built rental that, uh, you know, um, Megan was describing is um, uh, a slower return over time. And so, so you, you put your capital up front, uh, but the payback is, is over a longer period of time. And so we've, we've gotten away from that and and that comes with it you know there's a that's a bit of um you know community responsibility that kind of thing you know why would i why would i do this and 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 so as megan said you know we haven't we haven't seen purpose-built rental here in a long time and so it takes the innovation of a you know a, a person to sort of step forward and and do that well and also when you look at housing policy though this is the first time in the history of sort of you know the last hundred years where we're asking private developers to be developing affordable housing. So, so in the 70s and 80s when, and 60s, when we had so much purpose-built rental and we had co-op housing and we had social housing, it was all government built, right? And so now we've got this hybrid model now where there's government investment, but, but there's this belief that it's government investment, social service, like um, not-for-profits and private. So we're, it's a shift in the way the policy is going is that we're expecting for profit developers to be doing this, which is, is different than before. So I think that's a, that's a big challenge because to be honest with you, with the cost of materials, even as a not-for-profit, in order to be long-term sustainable, it's challenging to figure out what, like you have to go smaller. How do you get that cost per square foot down so that you're not you know, financially in trouble? And that's a not-for-profit. So it's, and I think there's a lot of factors, Robert. It's, it's, you know, the cost of land is going up, the cost of materials is going up, and then the pandemic has driven so much of that even higher. Well, then let me ask this. I, I mean, how sustainable is this model? When we need to create some kind of subsidy to get the housing that we need, 
how are we fulfilling those the 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 long-term goals and objectives i mean Megan, your organization just set an ambitious goal of raising $50,000 by the end of the year to continue to do the work that you do, which in and of itself only addresses a narrow niche of, of need within Northumberland. So, I mean, is local fundraising or is having government subsidized housing really the best approach to solving the housing crisis? I'll, I'll start with you, Megan, and then I'll come back to David. Well, in no way would I pretend to be a policy expert. And so I don't really know the answer, to be honest with you, Robert. I think um, I think where we're at right now is we do have a national housing strategy for the first time here in Canada. And it is focused on government intervention as well as community intervention, as well as for-profit intervention, right? It's, it's those partnerships working together. So whether or not it's sustainable I will leave that to the analysts and the economists no. to figure out, but I, I think mean, it's what that's we have fair. now. That's fair, but at the same time, you're working on the front line. You have life experience. You've been doing this for a long time in our community, and you have lots of that kind of knowledge to call on. I mean, you know, from your perspective on the front line, is this sustainable? Can we create something that's sustainable using this kind, these kinds of models? I don't know. I really, I, I, it's hard right now. It's, it's challenging to see how we can keep, how we can, I guess a better question for me to answer, I'm gonna change the question, which is not, but, but a better question for me to answer is I don't think that alone will meet the need that exists right now. So that's where I think the creative solutions that David's talking about and involving other players and rethinking it will have to happen because I don't think what, what we have access to alone is going to solve the need that it currently exists. David, how about you weigh in? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I know less about policy than than Megan does, but uh, um, I think that what um, what we need right now we need a we need a radical rethinking of how we're doing this. You know, at the at the at the ground level, um, but we need a um, I think a radical rethinking of spending overall. Uh, you know, we can't. Uh, you know, one of the problems is that we we tend to sort of look at these things in silos. You know, uh, of spending and you know, there's the housing. You know, how much can we afford to to collectively spend on housing or or you know on climate change or or uh, um, uh, the military? We you know we we have all these silos uh, that uh, I I think the uh, I think that the resources are there to uh, you know to make um, Canada livable. Uh, right now, we're not putting those in the right place. And and you, you look at something as as simple as the cost of policing in a community. Um, you know, uh, if that if if some of that uh, money were invested in housing, uh, how would that reduce the need for policing? Uh, you know, we clearly see that homelessness leads to a need for increased policing. What if we were proactive on that? Or or other you know other departments and shift shift things around and rethink it, uh, but when we have you know multiple levers levels of government, uh, um, all you know trying to win an election at uh, at alternate times, uh, it becomes really difficult to 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 step back and look at what do we need as a society and and you know clearly in Canada one of the first things that we need as a society is a is um, you know a place for people to to live. You you can't be employed. You can't uh, uh, you know you can't can't you know build other areas of the economy if, if people don't have a place to live 
Megan, the county government talks a lot about aligning services and its efforts to solve affordable housing with its new construction on Elgin Street and other initiatives. Yet the waiting list for affordable housing has sat at 10 years for more than a decade. What needs to happen locally to move the needle in a significant way? I think that's what we're trying to figure out. And, and so, I mean, I'm more, I'm, I'm an optimist in the sense that for the first time I look at, not, for, but right now I look at sort of the state and I know it's bad, but I also look at from a, from a perspective of county government and municipal, we have an affordable housing strategy for our entire county and each municipality has an affordable housing strategy. And every municipal election that took place four years ago, affordable housing was, was a topic that every councillor was asked on. And I'm seeing action. I am seeing it. I think the question, Robert, is what I'm really trying to figure out, and this is what I'm trying to figure out most days, is how do we make it happen faster, right? Because, because built, and the pro, part of the problem is building is not a quick process, right? Like building housing is not a quick process. The development process is not quick, especially especially if you're doing what you should do, which is complex um, multi-unit development, right? That is not a quick process. And so, so I will say, I think some of it, we will start to see, right? Like with Elgin Street and with 473 Ontario Street, the county and the, the Northumberland County Housing Corporation is building housing. We haven't seen that. So it takes a while for that to happen. I, so I think there's two strategies that have to happen at once. And this is where David and I spend a lot of time talking because I'm sort of at Habitat's end working on the long-term strategy, right? Of getting more units and more affordable housing down the pipe. But we also have a strategy right now, which is how do we support the people that need housing right this minute? And I think both strategies are what's key. Well, David, th that raises another thing. Uh, Transitions House's board and staff released a video describing some of the changes taking place around services for homeless people in Northumberland. And they've expanded their capacity in the face of the pandemic to include the use of hotels in order to meet the demand. They're also trying to provide greater support for homeless people through efforts aimed at navigating local social services and programs. Plus, they're assigning staff to coach people uh, through this process so that they're not isolated or go through it alone. What is your assessment of those efforts and is it sufficient? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really not involved in what they're doing, uh, but uh, um, what I see outside of the, the homelessness response, uh, um, uh, which is, is through Transition House, uh, is a lot of people who are, are not part of that. Uh, and we're seeing more and more people that are beyond the capacity or, or it's not the right fit for them. Um, uh, and, and this is typical in, in a lot of communities too that they that uh, you know we're able to provide you know one kind of emergency shelter uh, and that fits uh, for it's a certain group of people gets filled up and and we're going beyond that you know what we what we've seen through the the pandemic I mean this week uh, I've had about four conversations with people who are 
uh, facing homelessness who never thought they would be, people who um, are, uh, you know, encountering this this kind of thing for the first time, and and we're seeing something something very different emerging. More people living in their cars right now than we've ever seen before. Um, you know, people that have lived for you know five, ten, fifteen years in a in a place finding that uh, you know that building sold and uh, and they're evicted. Um, that's something that that really ramped up during the pandemic was, uh, um, you know, that kind of property that that maybe has three apartments in it um, uh, being sold uh, for a, a single family um, dwelling and uh, three households uh, being evicted with 60 days notice. And, uh, and we're, we're seeing a lot of that. And, and so that is, that's putting a lot of pressure on, you know, suddenly on uh, um, a, a homelessness response system that, that you know, was struggling to, uh, to keep up with the needs before that. And uh, so, so it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's we've never seen it this this difficult, uh, Robert, uh, um, and and we've never felt like you know we're we're at the end of our rope as much as we have lately. Uh, um, you know, just hearing hearing story after story. You know, a new person calls us, and uh, I'm you know I I don't have a place to live. What do I do? And there's no room in a shelter, and um, and and. You know, like I said, you know, we're, we've been handing out tents. Uh, um, you know, we try to coach people. Uh, you know, to to think through um, what the what the solution might be for them. But uh, um, it's really tough. How much of the housing crisis lies at the feet of the real estate industry? I mean, we see bidding wars driving up prices. We watch as local house prices skyrockets to record levels. We see companies and individuals coming from outside our area to buy up houses as investments, inflating house prices. What needs to happen to rein in these practices? Once again, I, this is an area that I, I, don't, I mean, I spend a lot of time listening to policy options of how you address this, but I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm not an expert at that. Um, I, I keep coming back to, I think, I think it's a large system um, it's a large system overhaul, right? It's this idea that 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 you need to be making a profit on your housing because that's what is going to carry you to the end of your life, right? And so, I don't know that I would blame any particular industry, um, or I, I won't blame any particular industry. I think it's where we've ended up, and and I'm I'm doing as much research as I can because I really do actually quite enjoy understanding housing policy. And understanding how we've gotten here and, and how we backtrack it to to be to understand that and I do know as I said that there are studies going on about how do we stop the financialization of housing all right I'm going to give you both a task give me one thing that is positive right now related to dealing with homelessness or housing affordability in our region briefly one thing David how about you uh, people are resilient and uh, people uh, get through difficult things and 
Um, there are good people in this community who care about other people. And that's just about the only thing that uh, is, is keeping us going at the moment uh, is the, the, uh, the, the strength of individuals and the, um, the caring capacity of a, of a community um, to try to do something uh, and, uh, and not give up. Megan? I would say that it's, I really do think there is momentum. I do. Um, and I think the challenge is that momentum was there before the pandemic. And then what the pandemic has done is it has just made it so much more challenging to keep it going. But I do, there are systems in place that um, I've been doing this for, I mean, I've been the executive director for 10 years. And the asks that I'm able to go and talk to councils about have shifted significantly in terms of what the municipality sees its role in developing and building and ensuring affordable housing in what the county sees its role. Like I would really, so I see momentum. I really do. I see a lot of agencies working together and I see a lot of different service providers really doing their best. There's a lot of outside influences, um, a lot of factors that are making it challenging for everyone, but I do see momentum in the right direction. If listeners want to take action on this issue, what can they do, Megan? There's a lot of things they can do. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick, um, I mean, there's, there's always be, here's one, as a listener, as a citizen in your area, be aware of what your council is discussing when it comes to affordable housing, um, of being a, a voice of support for diversity of housing, right? So when new projects are being proposed, that go outside, be a voice of support, try to really understand and see what, why we need that kind of diversity. I think that's one thing every single person, every resident can do. David? Yeah, I think I would I would echo that uh, um, to uh, it's important for us to learn about where we are and and who our neighbors are. And uh, and I, I think often we know when we when we figure out that part, uh, we know what we can do uh, to to improve things and uh, and and yeah, to to um, use our voice and to amplify other voices, um, uh, you know, as a caring community in in uh, those in those circles circles where where change can happen and and uh, you know I often talk to to politicians who say you know we we act when when people uh, you know um, get together and and say I support this direction uh, and and so I think I think that 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 citizen um, activity is so important David Sheffield Megan McDonald thank you for talking to me today thank, thank you Robert, Robert. That was David Sheffield, Executive Director of the Greenwood Coalition, and Megan McDonald, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity, Northumberland. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.